0: Indeed, This morning we will uh, look at Ezekiel and the scripture passage for us to um, read together is Ezekiel chapter 34 and verses 23 and 24. Ezekiel 34, verse 23, I will establish one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them, my servant David. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David, a prince among them, I, the Lord, have spoken. This is the word of God, and what do we know about God's word? Indeed, Lord, your word endures forever, and we are pleased to have it. Please open our hearts, open our minds, and open our wills that we would look to your word and obey with all of our strength. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So, When we were in our, what I'm going to call the early, early child-rearing years, when you have as many as we have, you have different earlies, but um, (laughs) in our early, early child-rearing years, Brenda and I sat under a man who was a great teacher. We enjoyed sitting under his teaching for many years. One of the things that he excelled at was titling his sermons. He did a really good job at titling his sermons. So I added drama to the church office this week in trying to be bold enough to interject my title. And finally in the end, I let Keisha choose. (laughs) And by the way, we need to all tell her how much we love and appreciate her. She's going to be a glue. She already is a glue, but she's going to be a glue. And anyway, she took the high road. She took the high road. So, thus, you have there uh, the title of the passage today. But to not be deterred, I decided that, um, yes, that is the high road. And, uh, but just as the prophet walked us through to the high road in the story, there's room for my title too. So um, my title's the early title. We actually have two titles of the sermon this morning. So my title's the early title, and you see the high road there in your bulletin of the, the high road. So the early title uh, came about, I'm not gonna tell you what it is just yet, but. Um, I was trying to figure out how to get you in the mindset of this day. And what came to my mind was um, this wasn't necessarily a big day on my calendar, but um, there was the day in uh, December of 1980 when John Lennon was shot outside his hotel by one of his supposed fans. And it was a marker day because the Beatles would never be together again as we knew it. More, um, I think, understandable in my music selection is just uh, last year, last January. Glenn Fry of the Eagles died. And all the Eagles were a little more transitional band, had a few members come in and out. Without Glenn Fry or Don Henley, you didn't have the Eagles, and it's just, shocking that the Eagles will never be together again. I even say that today, don't I, driving down the road. We're, wow, they'll never be together again. So those thoughts led me to, um, you know, the the song by Don McLean written in 1972 about the plane crash in 1959 where uh, Buddy Holly, Richie Vallon, and the Big Bopper died. And so he writes the song, Um, Bye-bye American Pie. It was eight and a half minutes long. It had over 800 words. Some of the verses, verse three, we all got up to dance. Oh, but we never got the chance because the players tried to take the field. The marching band refused to yield. Do you recall what was revealed the day the music died? And as the flames climbed high into the night to light the sacrificial rite, I saw Satan laughing with delight the day the music died. And in the outro, I met a girl who sang the blues, and I asked her for some happy news, but she just smiled and turned away. I went down to the sacred store where I'd heard the music years before, but the man said the music wouldn't play. And in the streets, the children screamed, and the lovers cried, and the poets dreamed, but not a word was spoken. The church bells were all broken. And the three men I admire most, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, they caught the last train for the coast, the day the music died. So this is the day the music died. Ezekiel 34. So my title was Bye Bye Little S Shepherd Pie. You can you can tell Keisha later she made a mistake. <laughs> but for the Jew, this was a dark, dark, dark day. In order to, even though our time period is um, about twenty six hundred years in front of us today, and, to, and for us to really understand it, we have to even go a little bit further. We have to go a to another 425 years earlier than that, about 1,000 B.C., to um, 2 Samuel 7. You You remember the story. It's the Davidic covenant, the day that David looks out from his cedar dwelling, his strong house, and he sees the Ark of the Covenant in a tent. And David says, um, I want to build God a house. And Nathan originally tells David to do all that's in his heart. Do it. But that night, Nathan gets a different message from God. And God tells Nathan basically four things. First is that God has never commanded a shepherd of Israel to build a house of cedar. And why would he command one to do so now? The second, God remanded Nathan to tell David that it was God who took David from being a poor little shepherd boy to be the shepherd of the nation. Now, just a side note right there, those are important words for us as we look to our passage today because there's a lot of definition given to the word shepherd. We don't want to be presumptuous and just jump to the fact that shepherd means leader. But God's given definition of that here to David as a shepherd is the way God would like to see the leaders perform to his people. The third thing God reminded Nathan to tell David was that um, all that David had, all of his kingdom, and now he had acquired the northern and the southern kingdom, all that he had acquired was given to him providentially by God. And then God turns, does a little word play, and says, You will not build me a house. I'm going to build you a house. And your house will be forever. And yes, I'm going to bless your son, and your son will build the house. The house. Hear the words. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up a seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men, but my mercy shall not depart from him as i took it from saul whom i have removed from before you your house and your kingdom shall be established forever your throne shall be established forever so you fast forward 80 years and a little glitch in the thing the divided kingdom You fast forward from this promise 327 years and you have the fall of the northern kingdom. A little skip in the record, I guess you would call that. Then you fast forward another 20 years and you see that Jerusalem itself is surrounded by the Assyrians. But God takes over and slays 185,000 of them that night. So the Jews begin to think, well, we're unconquerable. There's a false hope. Then another hundred years, and you have a, another chink, and you have the Babylonians deporting the brightest and the best. You would have gone with that one, Howard and Daniel. And they were deported off to Babylon. Then another seven or eight years, and we find Ezekiel where we're at right now, deported to Babel, where he's writing from. And then you come to this day, the day the music died. Now, it's been foretold to Ezekiel that this day was going to come, and it was going to come exactly the way it happened. But our passage, really, to get our minds straight, we have to start at chapter 33. Turn there in chapter 33 to chapter 33, 21. And my hope is today that if you've got your little pen and you're a Bible writer, that you're going to put three little flags down today. And Ezekiel... Thirty-three in verse 21 is a place to put a flag. This is the day the music died. It's not exactly the day, but it's the day, it's a few months later after the day, and it's the day that the Jews in exile hear that Jerusalem has indeed fallen. In verse 21 it says, It came to pass in the twelfth year of our captivity, In the 10th month, on the 5th day of the month, that one who had escaped from Jerusalem came to me and said, The city has been burned. The city has been captured. Now the hand of the Lord had been upon me the evening before the man who came had escaped. And he opened my mouth. So when he came to me in the morning, my mouth was opened, and I was no longer mute. Now, my example breaks down a little bit because it should be the other way. His mouth should be shut, right? The music died. But his mouth is opened. But even though he can speak, I can guarantee you there is no song. The exiles are stunned that actually it could happen. Jerusalem could actually fall. And indeed... There is the report. There is no longer a homeland. There's no longer a nation. And the eternal promise of the kingship seems to have fallen away. Remember, David, I will be with you and your throne forever. How could this be? This is the tension in our passage. How could it be that the announcement from Ezekiel 33 could ever be announced. From verse 23 to 29 God gives them some of the reasons. He tells them them it's because of their arrogance. It's because of their abominations, their idol worship, their reliance on idols rather than him, the adulteries. These are the reasons for this catastrophe. In 30 through 33, the last three verses of Ezekiel 33, he tells them that it's because the people listen to the word of God, but it doesn't change the way they act at all. The people have selfish pursuits for selfish gains. There's no looking at it from the other guy. Verse 32 says, Indeed, you are to them as a lovely song... Of one who has a pleasant voice and who can play well on an instrument, for they hear your words, but they do not do them. The music is dead. More so, I guess, correctly here, the hearers are dead. The day the music died. And so finally, we scooch into Ezekiel 34. And we come to the woe to the shepherds. Now, when it comes to woes in Scripture, sometimes we drift off. The message here to the people to uh, Israel is that the full responsibility for you being like you are weighs on your leaders. And so the immediate message where the prophet is taken after hearing of the fall of the nation is to woe to the shepherds. Now, of all the woes that are woed in the woes of the words of the prophets, the woe to the shepherds is the winning woe. Okay? All together. <laughs> of all the woes that are woed in the woes of the woes of the prophets, the woes to the shepherds, is the winning woe. Woe. <laughs> Isaiah woes to the wicked. He does woes to the drunkard. He woes the one who relies on the strength of the army. Woe to the plunderer. Woe to the one who strives with his maker. But none of those woes are repeated Anywhere else by any other prophet. Jeremiah woes the unrighteous house builder. Woe to the sinner. But none of those woes are the repeated. Hosea woes to those who fled. Amos woes to those who puts off the day of doom. Micah to those who woe iniquity. Habakkuk woe to him who steals. Woe to him who covers evil. Woe to him who builds with bloodshed. Woe to him who worship idols but none of those woes are repeated. The woe to the shepherds is the only woe that's repeated in different prophets, other than a few woes to the foreign nations. Jeremiah says this. Jeremiah is sort of the on-scene reporter. He's in Jerusalem as it falls. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. Ezekiel has his woe here that we read in verse 2. It says, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves, should not the shepherds feed the flock. Ezekiel's sort of the Walter Cronkite. He's over here in uh, Babylon giving the report. And then you have Zechariah Woe to the worthless shepherd who leaves the flock. Zechariah is a prophet in a new time, in a new age. It's when the exiles return. Same problem. Problem with leadership. And then you have the prophet, Jesus Christ. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, who shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, who devour window, widows' houses for pretense and make long prayers. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, who pay tithe of mint, cumin, and neglect the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, who cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside are full of extortion and self indulgence Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you are like whitewashed tombs in which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanliness. The repetition over the ages, over the time is a reason why here in Ezekiel 2 you should have your second flag Woe to the shepherds. It's important. The fall of Jerusalem, he goes immediately to the leadership, and he has a woe. And that's why your flag should be there, to say, woe. Let me see what's happening. Now, God really gives no proof of the accusations that he's fixing to make against the shepherds. That's obvious, I guess, that the accusations are going to be obvious to the people, and the accusations are going to be obvious to the leaders. But here we go. In 2 through 6, he gives them five accusations. Woe to the shepherds of Israel. First of all, for being self-serving. He says they feed only themselves. In verse 3, they eat the fat and clothe themselves with the wool. They are self-serving. The second accusation is they are not feeding the flock. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? Verse 2. Verse 3. You slaughter the fatling, but you do not feed the flock. They should be feeding the flocks. The third accusation, they are not strengthening the flock. Verse 4, the weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who were sick, nor bound up the broken. They are not strengthening. Number 4, the most numbered accusation is they just simply do not care. nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the beasts of, beast of the field when they were scattered. My sheep wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. Yes, my flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth, and no one was seeking or searching for them. The leaders didn't care for the sheep. And then fifthly, But with force and cruelty you have ruled them. There's no disciplining. Their governance, their rule is by force and by cruelty rather than by discipline and counseling. The five accusations against the shepherd. Then in verse 8, he sort of gives a summary of, of four of the five, he leaves out the discipline one. And there's a reason for that. But here's the summary. First of all, the first one is the non-strengthening. Surely because my flock became a prey and my flock became food for every beast of the f- field because there was no shepherd, there was no strengthening. The second one is not caring, nor did my shepherd search for my flock. The third one is the self-serving. But the shepherds fed themselves and then finally not feeding did not feed my flock. Four of the five accusations repeated right there in one verse, the summary of it all. And then comes the condemnation. The condemnation is this. Behold, I am against the shepherds and I will require my flock at their hand and I will cause them to cease feeding the sheep And the shepherds will feed themselves no more for I will deliver my flock from their mouths and they will no longer be food for them. God against the shepherds and losing the flock seems pretty severe. But Jeremiah where the second woe is, it's announced like this. You have scattered my flock, driven them away and not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for the evils of your doings. Zechariah 11, where the third woe to the shepherd is, it's really clear to see the doom on the shepherds. Woe to the worthless shepherd who leaves the flock. A sword shall be against his arm and against his right eye. His arm shall completely wither and his right eye shall be totally blinded. This is uh, really understood if you understand the warrior who without his right eye can't aim. Without his arm he can't hold sword or shield. You'll be defenseless, God says. This is my condemnation against you. Then we move to God's announcement that he is taking over the role. Look how he deals with each one of the five categories. First, serving. Verse 14. There there they shall lie down in a good fold and feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock. I will make them lie down. Lie down. I'm going to bring you the food. I'm going to serve you. The grazing will be easy. Just lie down. He will serve them. He will feed them. Verse 13. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, in the valleys, and all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them in good pasture, and their fold will be on the high mountains of Israel. God will strengthen them. Number three. Verse 16. I will seek what was lost. And bring back what was driven away. Bind up the broken and strengthen what was sick. And God will care. Verse 11. Indeed, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day he is among his scattered sheep. So I will seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places where they've been scattered on a cloudy and dark day, and finally, he will discipline. I will destroy verse sixteen. The fat and the strong, and feed them in judgment. Now here is where God has come back to the disciplining, and though it was barely touched in the first five announcement to the shepherds, and though it was looked over in the summary to the shepherds. He now is going to come at it with full force. And it appears as if he's talking to the flock. Look in verse um, 17. As for you, my flock. But he's talking about that he will judge the flock. So bear, don't be mistaken. This is a message to the shepherds. Okay? But the flock should pay attention too. Behold, I shall judge between sheep and sheep and between rams and goats. This is not a sheep and goat judgment. This is a sheep and sheep judgment. It's disciplining. It is too little for you to have eaten up the good pasture that you should tread down with your feet the residue of your pasture, and to have to drunk of the cedar of waters that you must foul the residue with your feet. And as for my flock, they eat what you have trampled down with your feet and they drink what you have fouled with your feet. Therefore, thus says the Lord of God to them, Behold, I myself will judge between the fat and the lean sheep, because you have pushed with side and shoulder and butted all the weak ones with your horns and scattered them about. Therefore, I will save my flock, and they shall no longer be a prey, and I will judge between sheep and sheep. Notice the issues is not the Babylonian. It's the sheep and the sheep. It's the community. And it's why discipline should be held up. And God says, I will hold this up. It's within one another that they drove everyone away. And God said, no, stop that. And I'm going to help stop that. Right? There'll be discipline. There'll be discipline with justice. I will judge. It will be righteous. You will no longer rule with force and cruelty. At this point, we come to our key passage. And you're an Israelite, and you've been told that the Babylonians have taken your country and your city and your temple and everything in the temple, and you had an eternal promise, and he's promising again he's going to be a shepherd. And I don't know, maybe you're a bit raw to that. Yeah, yeah, who's he going to do this with? And God says, I will establish one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them. Notice in your Bible there's a little line there, pause, build up. My servant David. What? David? Put another flag right there. The promise lives. We don't know how. It's going to take faith. They can't see what we see. But the promise of the Father lives and that servant David shall feed them and be their shepherd. This is shocking news. The music's not dead. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David, a prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. You mean I still must rely on the Lord's word? Yes. You mean I must rely on a miracle? Yes. You mean David, the king who was there, your servant, is going to be the shepherd in the future? Yes. You mean that's Jesus Christ, the Messiah? Yes. And look at the wonderful words. I will make a covenant of peace with them and cause wild beasts to cease from the land. And they will dwell safely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. And I will make them and the places all around my hill a blessing. And I will cause showers to come down in their season. And there shall be showers of blessings. And the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. And the earth shall yield her increase. And they shall be safe in their land and they shall know that I am the Lord. And when I've broken the bands of their yoke and delivered them from the hand of those who enslaved them, they shall no longer be a prey for the nations, nor shall be beast of the land devour them, but they shall dwell in safely, and no one shall make them afraid. I will raise up for them a garden of renown, and they shall no longer be consumed with hunger in the land, nor bear the shame of the Gentiles any more. Thus sh- they shall know that I, the Lord, their God, am with them, and they, the house of Israel, are my people, says the Lord. You are my flock, the flock of my pasture, you are men, and I am God. bit of application don't be a grass stomper or a water fowler while someone was eating the grass over here they had their feet over here and they were stomping down what somebody else had to come and eat later and I don't have to tell you the picture though if you're standing in the water and the cow's eating in the water or drinking the water what goes into the water but it messes up the water. Don't be that. Don't butt one another. Don't horn one another with your horns. There's only a few of you that have horns. <laughs> John 3, 1 John 3 says this, By this we know love, Because he laid down his life for us. And we ought also to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods. And sees his brother in need. And shuts up his heart from him. How does the love of God abide in him? My little children. Let us not love in word or tongue. But in deed and truth. Remember. The problem of the people was they heard the word of God. They didn't respond to the word of God. So that's. An application for us. Number two, know this. Your elders love you. They're not perfect, but with all their feeble strength, they take the warnings and the woes to the shepherd very seriously. They look at those warnings, and they guard this body, to the best of their ability from ignoring them. Servant leadership is what is tried to practice. Feeding the flock. Strengthening and caring and binding the flock and disciplining. The elders guard themselves in a way. The elder is to be a witness to the truth by the preservation and administration of the word of God. The elder is to cultivate the study and love of God within the body and the obedience thereof. The elder is to perform proper governance of the body in order to enforce the gospel. The elder is to dispense proper respect for discipline, the exercise of discipline, and the necessity of discipline. And the elder is to comfort the sick and the brokenhearted and to carry out the ministry of benevolence throughout the church. The discipline sometimes becomes the hardest part. Hebrews 13, 17 says this. It starts off as a message to the body, but it's really for the elders. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive. This is talking about the elders. For they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Soul watching is the role of the elder. And it's not to give account of what the body's doing. They will be held account on how well they watch out for the soul. Let them do it with joy and not with grief. For that would be unprofitable for you. Obedience and discipling are done with joy. Disciplining causes us grief. But it's the whole point of the prophets, right? All of the prophets we're talking, it's tough love. It's God taking this nation and sending them to exile in order to bring about restoration and it's the whole message of what the prophets were saying was happening to them and it's not a joyful it's a griefful it's a grief but it should be done and it should be done without cruelty but in gentleness but with grief number 4 remember the last words of ezekiel you are ezekiel 34 you are my flock the flock of my pastor you are, the, you are men and I am your God. Our binding, our bond is not because of who we are necessarily. It's who we are in Christ. It's God who is the shepherd. It's God who is searching and bringing and finding those that are scattered and brings us the bond of unity and the love of one another. That is how we're tied together through Christ. And finally, the final application. Do not grow anxious during this time of finding a new senior pastor at Redeemer Presbyterian Church. Be anxious in a way that looks forward to seeing God display His mighty hand. God knows who that is. And He will bring Him to us. Sometimes the hardest command is to wait. And that's what we're going to do. And we're going to wait together and we're going to enjoy it. We're on a good hill. Our hill is bountiful. We will serve one another. We will feed one another. We will comfort and care for one another. None of those things are changing. And we will carry out discipline. If it need be so. Let me pray for us. Lord, this is your word. We enjoy your word. And we appreciate your word. We thank you that you have brought together these saints, Redeemer Presbyterian Church, and you have put us under the true shepherd, Jesus, your son. We are so thankful in the way and the good ways in which you do shepherd us with gentleness and love, with severity when needed. The examples in which you set for us in servant leadership, in feeding, in strengthening, and in caring for us. Help us, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.